Well, we're back with part two of our conversation on qualitative neighboring. Across Canada, there are uh, a group of people, a, a movement of sorts that are living intentionally in ministry uh, by choosing a neighborhood, uh, living in that neighborhood as a living witness to their neighbors. We're going to uh, come back to the second part of that conversation. We started last time with Karen Reed from Parker House in Vancouver, Bob Cameron from the Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative, and Paula Castrucci, who spent some time in Toronto with the Move In Toronto movement. As uh, we explore themes around being a qualitative neighbor, we discover that there is a deep sense of calling for people who trade in a platform for a front porch. Let's go now and uh, hear the rest of my conversation with those three, as well as towards the end, uh, we have a surprise guest, uh, Huey Carpenter, who works with Bob Cameron. He drops in partway through and uh, adds his two cents worth uh, just as we're coming near the end of our conversation. Let's go to that conversation now. Bob, um, in the early days of the Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative, as you were gearing up to launch this movement in Windsor, uh, I remember you would talk about how there was a, uh, a numeric shift. The uh, ratio uh, in your previous life uh, as a, a churchman uh, was 90% church activity and 10% community engagement. And uh, as you were moving towards qualitative neighboring, intentional community, uh, you said that uh, the goal was to flip those numbers so that 90% of your time was given to uh, spiritual uh, or, or community engagement and 10% uh, of your time given to more of the spiritual formation, uh, you know, gathering of, of the saints together. So I, I'd like you to just reflect a little bit on over the uh, 10 or 12 years, however long you've been going, uh, how have you seen that shift? And uh, was that an easy shift or is that a little bit more like tectonic plates shifting? Hmm. Uh, I, no, I would say it's probably, it probably still is a 90-10, probably 95-5 split, which actually becomes easier as time goes along. Um, in the sense that the programming and the resources uh, allocated are towards the Monday to Saturday rather than the Sunday. And I'm using that as kind of a, uh, a stereotype. Yeah. Um, that, uh, in fact, I was chatting with someone earlier today that, man, if, if I had to hire someone next, would I hire, or if I was starting this again, would I hire a youth pastor, a worship pastor, or a social worker? And I would hire a social worker first if the church is going to engage its community and uh, that would be a better investment or allocation of resources. And uh, I think over time we realized that there is a, uh, 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 it's not an either or, but w which serves the other. 
So do I do through the week so that I can build up the number of people that are on a Sunday morning, participate in a Sunday morning service? Or does Sunday morning become the place where I practice what I'm going to do through the week? So we practice hospitality by entering into the Lord's table, and he is the host, and he invites me to his table. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. He's actually going out through the week and, and, well, and being at the table of my neighbors, and they're the host and I'm the guest, or welcoming them into my house where I'm the host and they're the guest. Uh, but what happens Sunday morning is a practice for what goes on through the week. Uh, worshiping on Sunday morning becomes where I go out and I worship by loving my neighbor, uh, by doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with my God. And I practice that Sunday morning. And then we gather together to encourage and then send each other out into our neighborhoods where we're going to participate, as Karen was saying so well earlier, with uh, the presence of God. Uh, but then the, the other point is that realizing it's not a bifurcation. It's not that they actually overlap that Jesus said, my food in, in John 4, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me. So uh, there's actually a nourishing that goes on, a spiritual vitality that we should be looking for, can find within the ministry that goes on of loving neighbors all through the week. So as I anticipate the spirit at work, he's actually enlivening me and refreshing and uh, fulfilling me. And then I bring that back uh, Sunday morning, or in our case, every, every evening, at eight o'clock or every morning at 8 a.m. when we gather, just not on Sunday morning, to be encouraged, to lament, uh, to celebrate where we saw God at work through our week. Uh, so it's still probably that 90, 10. Uh, our Sunday services would not, we aren't, we aren't competing with Hillsong. Uh, uh, we don't sing very well, <laughs> if we do at all. Uh, we lack someone with your skill and gift, Kevin. But uh, we love one another, and we, uh, I, I think, uh, just em seek to empower each other as we go through the week and, uh, and nourishing that kind of, uh, that sensitivity to God's uh, movement through the week. Yeah. Karen, you went through a similar shift. You worked for a few years um, at a uh, large uh, church in Vancouver, and, and I don't even know where all uh, you've been in your life, but uh, you were definitely part of uh, the mainstream um, church worker culture and went through this uh, dynamic shift uh, that echoes what Bob was just saying. So talk about your own transition. Uh, how, uh, how did God... Uh, dismantle and reform you around some new practices? It was a, certainly a, a convergence of issues and thinking over a number of years that emerged, you know, as you, um, you know, so there, so there was a lot of things that were, you know, as you were reading and also seeing the dissatisfaction of uh, sometimes people that sat under some of the best teaching uh, for 20 or 30 years, and yet some of the maturity that just wasn't being seen. And um, so there was my own hungering for a, a more a deeper experience myself of community. So uh, I became dissatisfied what felt like pseudo community uh, at, at many levels that we encouraged and tried to accommodate. So 
Um, there, there was a variety of things that began to shift for me. One of the primary influencers, though, was uh, we were one of the first um, churches that embraced Alpha at the very beginning. And um, so I uh, was actually on the Alpha board for 10 years or so. And so was quite involved with Alpha. And we did maybe, I don't know, over 50 Alpha courses. And that, and had large Alphas. Um, and so that I began to see, we, we started to develop, you know, there'd be like 350 people that would gather on a Wednesday night. They would, we'd have Alpha, and then I developed a kind of two-year track of discipleship courses that followed that. And people would first come together for a meal and then meet in small groups. And so I, and it was lay-led. Uh, the focus was around non-clergy um, they would have one facilitator that would kind of stay with them for a couple years. You had this wide diversity of people that would get placed at, in a small group. And so um, I saw that people's first impression of church was around a meal versus uh, sitting in a pew. And so I watched the power of that. I watched the power of um non-clergy being one that were primary, the frontline pastoring and caring for people. And, uh, and to see really diverse groups of people, people from off the street with uh, professionals uh, developing these friendships that were just so beautiful. Uh, people that wouldn't normally choose each other and how they just got bound together in love. Um, and so that really began a, a dramatic shift in thinking of saying, how, how can this, uh, these elements that I'm experiencing that's awakening my imagination and making um, my heart for more um, be experienced uh, on, you know, outside of uh, what we have set up as the traditional uh, church setting. So that is what really began the um, kind of um, the, the imagination, I would say, a, t a taste. I caught something else that I hungered for, and I wanted to live into that. Paula, um, you and I, I mean, uh, we're, we're, the, uh, we're the, the babes here when it comes to intentional community, and uh, we're listening to the Jedi Council here. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> no, it really is amazing, and, and it really is wonderful, you know, what God is, is doing uh, in places like Parker House and the DWCC. Uh, you had a uh, limited experience with, with Move In, uh, but your life is very much enmeshed in community engagement. Absolutely. And uh, so as you're hearing um, the elders here uh, <laughs> talking elders. about their, their coming from their place of wisdom, I, I'm just wondering uh, some of your reflections as well on... Uh, what they're talking about here, about this transition from being uh, churchocentric to uh, Christocentric in the community. Yes, that is a big one. Um, I, I think that's the plan for church. I think that's what we should be doing, <laughs> really. I, I think it, it even in COVID, if I can, I, I see 
people stressing out about the church building not being open or the programs not being able to run the same way they are there on Zoom. And, and I think I get it. Like, I, I'm not here to judge pastors or whatever the case may be, because I'm not in that situation specifically. But I just I I think where the church is being examined right now and always always should be. And I think the reality is if we're showing up and sitting in a pew or teaching from a pulpit and that's it, that's the, the, that's it. That's the disconnect between Sunday and Monday, which is not, not anyone's responsibility, but those sitting in the pew. Right. But I think the reality is, um, yeah, what they're saying, it resonates. It's what we should be doing. We should be hanging out with people and being inclusive and being present where we are and, you know, keeping our eyes open for opportunities, getting to know people. And, and again, with like, without downward relating, just being a part of the community. I'm not the, the youth worker in the community. I'm not the move in or, or wasn't the move in or I'm a neighbor. I'm a neighbor. Right. And I, I, I think that's kind of the shift we all have to make in our heads in our minds and in our hearts as well, that this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. It's about being a neighbor. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's, yep. that's what it comes down to the, the church building. And, and I'm not, I'm not knocking church. I, I think it's beneficial to go. I miss it. You know, there's elements of, you know, just, just worshiping with other believers and knowing you're not in the race alone. Right. I, I have benefited from programs. I help run grief share. Like there are, there's benefits to that too, but if that's all we're focusing on and, and the fact that we're missing it is, is taking priority of the fact that we need to be living this kind of life. And I think mm-hmm. we're missing the mark. Are, are you uh, still uh, connected to uh, church in Regent Park? Is that your kind of home church? No, I, I go to Stone Church. Okay, um, yep. I go, yeah, I go to, I'm part of Stone Church. I'm in leadership there. Uh, I am still connected. I think prior to COVID, I'd been taking a break, and I think they're, they're not in as much need um, for, for kind of volunteers or whatever that I am still involved as, as in like, I baked cookies at Christmas time for the drive. I still talk to pastor Mark and pastor Kim. Yeah. But yeah. I have, yeah. I did feel a shift happening in my life as well. Um, mm-hmm. a while back just and have, have planted myself in stone church for what the Lord tells me otherwise. Yes. There, there, there are these shifts, aren't there, that happen in our yeah. lives. And it's very important that, uh, that we discern, you know, what's the spirit saying with, with each shift that comes? Uh, Bob, you uh, had something yeah. to say. Yeah, there a couple of thoughts that came about intentional community, which is, I think, a theological shift, maybe a nuance. Maybe, Karen, you can critique me on it. Is One is uh, a movement from uh, individualism to uh, communitarianism. So I am not an individual, like I am part of the body of Christ, and that is reality. And uh, the best apologetic for the gospel is the loving community. We can have superheroes, individuals who are the supermen, and people see that and don't see, it can excuse what God is doing. But when a community loves one another and aspires to that, radically different. The second one is intentional community moves from voluntarism to a covenantalism. So I don't voluntarily choose to join this church or that one. I make a covenant that through thick or thin, I'm committed to this group. And uh, so it eliminates things like church shopping and, and moving around. Or when things get tough, I move on. So there's a real cost to intentional community and living that I give up uh, some things that are uh, and alternative to the dominant culture 
both of the historic church and uh, in our in the dominant culture at the time. Karen, go ahead, and then Paula. Yeah, and um, I, I often used to say in marriage counseling that intimate relationships don't create problems, they reveal them. And you could skirt around and spend your life participating in church services and programs and uh, never have core issues exposed in your life. So, so part of that was part of my observation and seeing it myself and others, that what does it require to, to move from having a lot of people in your life at a shadow level to go deeper? So this covenantal um, journey. So living together, I had lived alone a good amount of my life. And so to move in to shared living, and we're seeking to be an intentional intergenerational community. So I've had a lot of 20-somethings, but pretty much every decade, I'm the oldest. Um, it takes work and it exposes things, it reveals things. And so unless there's covenant, we just can easily kind of bail out when uh, the mirror gets held up to us. And so I, I, we rob ourselves of that kind of maturity, if that's what God primarily is after is our maturity, that somewhere uh, that level of commitment um, that we're entering into, that we're going to journey together. And we certainly see that now as our culture has moved even to more polarized points. How do we live within this radical middle and invite others into that, that we learn skills and capacity uh, to hold well uh, diverse, divergent opinions, uh, personalities. Uh, if we believe that there's no limit to God's capacity to love. And so I, I think there's an element of uh, maturity that cannot be reached um, in our journey with Christ without moving into more intimate quarters where things can get exposed and you learn skills of resolving conflict and um, how to have restorative conversations. And, and, and it's, uh, and Bob hinted at this too. It is mutually transforming. It is nurturing. It is life-giving. And so costly, uh, like another uh, good friend moved in about eight years ago. Again, someone who had lived alone most of her life. And we, we would all say that we would, as hard work as it is, we would never go back to living alone. Um, and so whether people live in the same house together or intentionally on the same street together, there, there's a, a movement, a leaning in to this more intentional covenantal relationship where you're journeying, like I'm here for the rest of my life. Um, I'm not gonna bail when there's either hard people to live with or neighbors. Um, so that kind of robust, uh, commitment that's sacrificial, but that's hard. But to the degree um, we commit to that is the degree we also taste the beauty and joy and nourishment of it. So how would, uh, how would you say uh, this, these lives you're leading have schooled you in conflict resolution? You, you've 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 gone to uh, you know the um, to Nirvana 
and uh, you've uh, lived live in these perfect places, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're oh, you're living the dream. So talk to me about conflict resolution. Uh, what's how how have you been shaped? I have learned not to run. Not to I'm, run. I'm exactly who Karen was just talking about. Not now. Not now. Like I've been with you for guys for four years. You know, like I. I stay put. There are times I do believe I was going to say this earlier that the Lord does shift you out of places and into something new. It's hard to discern at times, but there, I do believe that not everyone is necessarily called to the same community for 40 years or the same church. Right. So I do think there's discernment involved in that, but I do also see the value um, and the importance of what Bob and Karen had just said. And it's something that I have been um, intentionally and painfully living out the last little while to not want to because I can I don't owe anyone anything I don't have a family to worry about I can easily pack my very small bags and just piece the heck out wherever I want right but the truth of the matter is there there is a pruning and a richness that does come with sticking around and I say that with 100% knowledge of its accuracy but also with the understanding that I still fight it at times so there is a conflict. Like there's a lady that I visit through grief share who's alone and she is <clears throat> beyond words and abusive. And so there's, there's a matter of me putting up boundaries and telling her she can't talk to me like that, or she can't do that, or she can't email me 20 times a day. There's obviously that's important, right? Boundaries are important. But at the same time, my tendency would be to be like, I'm done. You can't help someone who won't help themselves. Like there's that, but then there's that call to like take care of widows and orphans in their distress. It doesn't say take care of widows and orphans when they're happy and when they're <laughs> moved on from, oh, I just did quotes. It's not, it's a podcast, but moved on from their, their distress when they're okay on the other side of the grief, you know, not that you ever get there, but you know what I mean? But um, yeah. And so realizing that there's richness and stability um, and pruning and becoming more like Christ through conflict is what I have to remind myself of when I want to pack my bags and just be like, I'm out. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, the, the challenge of intentional community is you can't avoid conflict. The closer we become, the higher the probability we're going to argue and be conflicted. It just, we're broken, we're all broken, wounded people coming into relationships. And over the 10 years, really how lousy I am at it, at uh, conflict resolution. Uh, my preference, my natural default is flight. Others might be fight or freeze. Uh, we bring those three emotional raw uh, uh, responses into each of our conflicts. Uh, and that what is needed is uh, so great gobs of the grease of forgiveness and grace to keep the, the, the wheels of relationship moving and uh, keep uh, so practicing forgiveness and grace. Um, I was also thinking that uh, spiritual maturity is not by defined by the gift I have, whether it's prophecy or, you know, mercy or helps. Actually, the spiritual maturity is based on how descriptive my life compares to the last 10% of each of the epistles. Paul describes what it means to love one another in very practical descriptor ways. And those become the things I need to daily um, uh, hold my life up uh, and our community's life up to how Paul describes them. And does that describe us? And there are people who are really gifted at uh, resolution, conflict resolution. And those are 
those are the skills we need to nurture. Um, our neighborhoods are broken places. Uh, the body of Christ needs to be really good at conflict resolution and being peacemakers. And that's then a gift that we offer to our neighborhoods. Uh, uh, racial reconciliation at a, a more uh, systemic level, as well as the one-on relationships, the conflict that happens across the street. Church needs to be really good at it. I don't think we are, um, uh, but we aspire to that. Yeah, I would add too that I think part of these are skills. Nobody's born with this. They're, they're skills that need to be learned and, and maybe uh, one of the contributing factors by by not having these uh, deeply rooted generally in the Christian community is is because how we have organized you where I was at you you could kind of come and you could be okay for an hour together and then if you had conflict you could move on or avoid and so you can't do that when you're living in close quarters with people. And um, so, so it, it, you have to press into it and, and uh, learn skills. I, I, you know, so taking seriously that idea of turning the other cheek, if something steals from you, you offer them more. You know, it's, it's a rub. I love Walter Brueggemann says, you know, the Bible is not primarily about spirituality. It's about materiality. It's what we do with our body and our money. And um, so, so, you know, intentionally living into a neighborhood forces those kind of ordinary bodily ways of living out your faith in the practicalities. And so it's hard work and how to not numb out or I like the idea of fight, flight or freeze. Um, and so those those skills that have to be um, nurtured and, and uh, live deeply into how to have regenerative um, conversations that uh, you invite in. I, I was, I've been influenced um, by Jamie Smith's idea, um, theologian, that, that we're formed not primarily by what we know, uh, by information, by, but what we love, what we desire. So if you went to the mall every day as a practice, it would form in you the desire for consuming. And so um, it's so what we practice is what uh, feeds our ultimate loves. And so it's it's learning these practices. So proactively, so not only learning skills of conflict resolutions, but practices of um, celebration together, of practices of having shared meals. There's something very powerful. And as Eugene Peterson began to see every meal as a Eucharistic meal, where Jesus is the guest and host, that, that um, elevates our common humanity over our differences. So there's something about sharing meals. You see hospitality, that kind of hospitality was the lifeblood of the early church, um, where diverse people would come together. So I've seen the power of, of sharing good food around a table, lingering in good conversation and and uh, so these practices, uh, we would have regular house meetings. So you, you'd have ways that you agree upon uh, keeping short accounts with each other. Um, I've watched it in the neighborhood as you, as you get pulled into peacemaking environments and where they see everyone's invited to the table. That 
um, neighbor that is like a porcupine uh, that everyone has shunned and you invite them in, you know, inclusively, um, that, that it's louder than we think. It subverts the dominant narrative and it's very powerful. So if we have not been in places where um, we have practice and learn skills of good conflict resolution, we can't facilitate and, and be a part of that within our neighborhood. Sometimes uh, things can work unexpectedly well. You say, I'm gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And, and so you start doing it and, and it just has this um, life in it and, and it just seems to multiply and, and flourish. Uh, other times we think, ah, this would be a really great idea and we put all this energy and effort into doing something and it, it bombs, it falls flat. And uh, so um, there, there's a certain amount of uh, witty invention, of uh, envisioning, of uh, need assessment and, and looking for ways to connect with our neighbors. Uh, some things that work, some that don't, and then some simple things that we just keep coming back to that are the bread and butter of being a neighbor. Talk to me about, uh, maybe each of you, uh, something that you uh, set out to do that was unexpectedly, unexpectedly uh, success, successful by your measurements, uh, and then talk to me about something that bombed and uh, it'd be great to just hear about some of the things that are happening. You know, we're talking uh, very much at a uh, 30,000 foot level about intentional community. Let's bring it back down on the ground again and talk about uh, just some of the experiments that you've been involved in. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Uh, um, lots is bombed. I think the uh, um, the whole, the goal is to be uh, as an experiment is to experiment and to do mustard seed so that when it does bomb the whole thing doesn't fall apart. Uh, that's really important. And start small and see what happens. I think one of the things that hasn't worked was um, uh, our home, which in this living room behind us is big enough. Our house is like yours, Karen. I think you know, hundred years old. We can have fifty people in here, and it feels comfortable. You have six in here, it feels comfortable. And so hospitality, welcoming people into our home, we thought, man, every neighborhood should do it. And what we found out is every neighborhood cannot do it. Uh, the size of home. Uh, we know in uh, one of our neighborhoods, uh, they're rampant with bug infestation and people don't want to invite their neighbor in because you don't know what's coming in and staying after they've left. And um, uh, so learning that hospitality is not a cookie cutter and expectation, uh, also, we, I'm an extrovert. I welcome people in. I have five other members in this family who are introverts. And so the tension that goes along with uh, uh, balancing what does hospitality look like with our personalities or, or strengths. So that's been something that we've had to learn. Uh, uh, another thing that didn't work is we really tried hard. There are 12 church buildings downtown and probably all of them are failing or hold or, or treading water. 
And we tried really, really hard with a few of them to help them become neighbor centric. And it doesn't work. It's, it's not, it's, it's failed as much as we love our brothers and sisters in there and realize that's not our, not our calling or what God's after. Uh, so those would be a couple of things that didn't work. What, what's a, uh, something, an initiative that you guys have done that has exceeded expectation, Bob? I think the capacity to serve uh, and collaborate. That the spirit is at work in agencies who are doing kingdom work and don't realize it. And uh, Christofferson's book is really good. Kingdom Matrix is, is a good read to understand how God is at work. Uh, and so our involvement in the school uh, our local schools. Um, I serve on the PTA as the grandfather. Like I know pretty well every kid in my neighborhood, love them all. They play in my backyard because I got the trampoline in there. Um, they love my dog as scared as they are of him. Uh, we run the breakfast club. We do the, we help coordinate the volunteers for the breakfast club. We have special events through the year in our neighborhood schools. It goes on and on and on. They see the value of the church. And I probably, they don't even probably think, no, we're a church, to be honest, because uh, we don't have a building. Uh, but we're neighbors who love our school system. We run uh, parks every summer. We run programming in our, in our parks, the four parks in the downtown core, uh, coordinating children who just show up. So barrier-free sports. And that's what we call our movement of... Uh, from strangers to familiar to acquaintance to friends and ultimately folks realizing we're spiritual companions uh, and on their territory, not on my turf. I don't invite them to my church building. Uh, we go where they are. And, uh, and so that nurturing of relationships and ultimately an overlapping of ministry. So it's not a series of programs. The children we see at school and serve at breakfast, I see on the street while I'm walking my dog. We play in sports together. They stop me on the street and share their stories, both the joys and the sorrows. Uh, they know my other neighbors are participants in our community. There's this weaving together of relationships of uh, the kingdom of heaven at work. It's not anything further in doing ministry. I don't have to do more. I just have to see God at work while I'm walking my dog. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful weaving together that only happens because we are limited in our space. We define ourselves as a parish that this is who God has called us to and ministry happens in that way. And that's been incredibly successful. Um, our city council called us small, but mighty because mm -hmm. you're not a big group. There's maybe 25 of us, probably if we started counting uh, at that core covenantal community. Uh, but the significant impact uh, it's had in our community is well beyond that uh, mustard seed group. Got me preaching there, Kevin. Sorry. Right on, right on. <laughs> yeah, Paula, contextualize the question. So we want to hear about an unexpected success and a dismal bombing. Dismal bombing. Listen, I can probably only answer this in a general way based on the state move-in was in when I came here as well as um, my short period of time with it, but I would say that anything inconsistent was a bomb. And not that you can measure fruit entirely, but I would say, for example, when I first got here, uh, the move-in group wanted to meet in the park once a month, every month, like on a Monday. We met every Monday, but they wanted to in the park for the sake of 
letting people see that we got together and pray in hopes mm. that they would walk over to us on the bench and be like, oh, what are you guys doing? You know, like it's like, which wasn't very effective at all. I don't think, no, I, I know that not one person had approached us or even we had one conversation outside of that. So it was nice that we were, uh, it was nice that we were at a park for our sake because it was nice outside. But I would say it was too inconsistent to make a difference or anything of the sort. Something that exceeded, like I know my my house and I, we continue obviously to um, try to connect with our neighbors. We decided to make um, cookies at Christmas. And so we went around and knocked on everybody's door and handed them cookies. Um, and that actually paved the way for us to have a relationship with two, two of our neighbors, like two separate households. And I wasn't really expecting that. I thought like some people would think we're weird because we're giving cookies, which they did. Some people were a little hesitant, which they were. But the fact of the matter is there were two, yeah, there were two families that actually really appreciated to the point where they came and knocked on our door and gave us a card or thanked us. And then now I see them, I know their names, I know some other story. And that's how it's built. In in my context, in a in apartment building in Toronto, it is a complicated, and we all have our complicated uh what's the word what anyway it's, it's all complicated no matter where we are but that's our our uh, hardship is being in toronto and being in a building people just come put their heads down get in and yeah get inside yeah. right so that that i didn't expect to have someone knock on my door and thank me or give me a card or tell me their names or their stories either right so but what a what a warm surprise yeah like who yeah. doesn't like cookies like yeah cookies even are always that, good like, even that, you want some consistency, but that's weird if I just drop off cookies on a random Monday too. So it's like <laughs> once, once a year, right? But yeah, I'd say I would say that um, is one thing I could think of at the top of my head. How about you, Karen? Uh, what what brings a smile to your face, and what makes you roll your eyes when you think back on it? <laughs> I think back of when I was uh, trying to break into. Uh, begin to develop friendships in the neighborhood. And I um, had my, the first couple open houses at Christmas time. And uh, I printed up like a hundred small little invitations. And I, instead, I chickened out instead of knocking on the doors, get, introducing myself, I just slipped them in mailboxes. <laughs> and I had like three people, four people showed up and had made this huge spread. And two of them uh, were a couple that broke up the week later. So that it was very tense. It was very uncomfortable. And uh, so it was like, oh, you know, anyways, of learning. I have persevered and we now have a good numbers, 80 plus for the open houses. But, but in those early years, it was tough. You just had to keep plowing because I what, didn't. Um, I wasn't able at that point to kind of push in into um, making myself available. One, one of the shifts that happened is we started soup nights and I wanted as low of a barrier so people could come late and leave early. They didn't need to RSVP. They didn't need to bring anything and they could bring anyone they wanted from their household. And it seemed to be unpretentious and um, that really began to build, you know, we'd have people from, you know, all ages of kids, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds. Um, and that sparked something within the neighborhood. So, you know, before COVID, I could send an invite the week before and we could have 45, 55 people 
uh, of the neighborhood. We now have about 135 or 40 on our email list for the neighborhood. So that was, that began a process. Then eventually, after we had enough social connection, we organized uh, in the early Syrian crisis and sponsored a Syrian family, raised 50,000 as a neighborhood and worked collectively. Beautiful. And, and they moved into the neighborhood. So we've done very simple, even this last year, we got chickens. You can have four chickens in the city and hens. Um, and one neighbor that's been hard to bridge with, she has fallen in love with the chickens and all the kids come regularly to see the chickens. Aww. So something, I, I, what I wanna, I guess, emphasize is that I think I'm pretty strategic and I am a planner but it's, it's been things that you could never anticipate. Like even the Syrians coming, it turns out they're Christian and they have been highly subversive in the neighborhood. They had never met a secular person before in their life, before moving here. Wow. And, um, and so I have just watched how they're used to being persecuted there from Damascus and how bold they are, this 27 year old is in her faith. Um, you can't you can't plan that kind of things. So I just think sometimes we settle for just what we can envision. And and I think when there we're in that places that we're leaning in and expectant and just opened to respond to the next thing. Um, that's what I've observed is way beyond what I could ever have envisioned the impact that that's had in what God you're joining in this much larger um, narrative that you can't see, and and that's okay. I've I've come to welcome that that I have this small part, and I am called to be faithful in my parish to this small bit, and I get to be a part front line of a much larger um, agenda that God's after. Fantastic. Hey, uh, we uh, four have the advantage of looking at each other on this Zoom call. And in true intentional community form, uh, one of Bob's community, Huey, uh, just walked into his living room and sat down next to him. So um, I, I think a great way to uh, wrap out uh, this, this uh, podcast episode uh, would be uh, Bob. Uh, introduce uh, our friend Huey and unmute yourself there, and uh, yeah. and tell us a little bit about about. And Huey, you can you can talk for yourself if you want, but just real brief. Uh, let's let's hear about uh, some of the things that Huey's involved in. Sure, Huey is the epitome of, uh, of I think of all that we've been talking about the uh, an incarnational manifestation of it. So. Huey's our peer support worker who incarnated, moved into the Glengarry housing complex. You can't, um, you can't parachute in to do ministry in areas. You have to live within it and make a difference that way. So Huey lives in Glengarry, uh, kind of our move in. Uh, and he and I fight <laughs> and love each other and, and learn conflict resolution. Absolutely. So we talked about that. <laughs> so we have to do it every week. Uh, and uh, I love my brother, so proud of him. And talk about things that bomb and uh, things that are successful. So like, like, I just think we were just talking about the food bank and yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, I could tell you how I started my day. I, I woke up this morning. I got on Zoom with my church with Bob. And uh, we were reading some of Amos in chapter three and some Proverbs and some Psalms. And we started our day that way. So I made a phone call. We had three vans that were going up to the WCF today and made a bunch of calls. We had eight men from Glengarry who live there come out to volunteer. And uh, so we picked up three loads of that stuff. But before we left, there was all of us in the pantry. And uh, this morning was just a, a fantastic time to, to take a moment and pray and to thank God for what he was doing. So in that circle, um, they, they watch me care for them. They watch me um, be a part of their lives. And uh, I, I love to pray and, and pray into their lives. And so, I, you know, I was actually moved by that moment. And we had an amazing day. We've been blessed. We're still going back. We're doing more. Uh, the guys had moved everything from the storage to, to, to redo. They're over there now, still working. Um, and uh, loving one another. And tonight at six, we'll meet as a community. Once a week, we get together and we'll hash out our concerns as a marriage. And, uh, and then we'll pray for each other. And I'll normally take that role. But I'm watching a community grow. We actually had an opportunity to speak to another guy that's just new there. And he will be starting Finding Freedom next Monday. And uh, it's good to be part of... Uh, helping people. Uh, we blessed a fellow that lived on the street. His name was Matt. Uh, I had an opportunity to pray for Matt today and to bless him with some food. And he was so grateful that he was being noticed and that he wasn't invisible and that we took concern for him. So we do a lot over there in Glengarry, but it's a, it's an amazing journey to be a part of the Lord's um, um, handling of our, our, our flocks, I guess we would say, but we do argue, but I love this man with all my heart, and he allows me to be me, and I allow Bob to be Bob, and if I was to think about Bob, if Bob was hurt, I would be hurt as well, so we have a fantastic family. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Huey, I'm so glad you dropped by Bob's place and uh, that you could participate in the last uh, couple minutes, and yeah. uh, Bob Cameron, uh, Karen Reed, Paula Castrucci, uh, you know, may, may the spirit just breathe new life into you as you continue to serve God in the ways that you are, being the neighbors that you are. And uh, so glad that you could be a part of this today. And uh, over and out. God bless you. Thanks a lot. Nice to meet you guys. Hey, you well. to meet you, Bob. And so good to see you, Paula. Yeah, yeah, you do care and read what up. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Kevin. And that's our quest conversation featuring the letter Q, qualitative neighboring. In the next two episodes coming up, we're going to look at the letter U, which stands for urban churches. And from Halifax to Vancouver, I've assembled a quest conversation with men and women uh, who are pastoring churches in very unique urban settings. You know, um, to pastor in an urban church uh, has some uh, nuances and some subtle distinctions from passing, pastoring in a suburban uh, or a small town or rural setting. 
And uh, so that's uh, why we want to have this conversation. We want to have a better eye, a better ear to what is it like to pastor in an urban center. So uh, join us again. And uh, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, uh, just look up Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. And uh, additionally, the uh, upcoming episodes will be on our on, on my YouTube channel, uh, look up Kevin Rogers and add um, my channel and uh, you'll be able to go on there and find uh, past episodes as well as upcoming episodes of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. So until we meet again, uh, keep one ear to the sky and one ear to the ground of your city. I'm Kevin Rogers and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.